right, well, good morning, church. As we are back, and, and then we're, we just had a little issue going on here, so we're good now. Welcome back. We are in the second installment of our series called The Master's Men as we are studying the, the, the 12 apostles and how Jesus calls them out to be the foundation of what we know as the church today. And, and uh, it's important that we look at these men, one, because they're in the Bible and Jesus talks about them an awful lot. In fact, most of them wrote books in the Bible, right? So that's a good thing. So they spoke for God. Uh, but we also, as we looked at last week, remember, we will see them in the New Jerusalem as their names are on the foundations of the pillars of that city and that uh, we will get to see them someday. But for us this morning, looking at them, it's more of an issue of realizing the commonness of these men, that they were just so plain and ordinary and I guess you could say unexciting or, you know, there was no flair about them. They, they weren't on the cover of the GQ magazine of Jerusalem of the, of the time. They, they weren't in the news a lot. They weren't, uh, you know, there was really nothing special about them. They were just common, but they were available. And that's a message for us as we learn to relate with these 12 men that we too, when we get down to it, are really pretty common and ordinary, aren't we? I mean, we have some special things about us and some of us stand out more than others, um, sometimes for good, sometimes not for good, but God can use us just like he used these men. If we, like these men, are available and willing to follow him. So hopefully as we go through this and look at them, you and I can relate with these men with what God did in them, that he called the unqualified and he qualified them, that God can do the same with us if we are just listening and willing to be moved by him. Now go back to elementary school. Remember in elementary school when you were called out, was it a good thing? Kids like, I was never called out. If you were called out in elementary school, it usually meant what? Someone was picking a fight with you, right? And they were calling you out like, come on, you and me right here, right now, right? Well, if we look at these 12 men, they were called out by Jesus. But different than our experience in elementary school, it was a good thing. And there were several callings that God did upon their lives. First, he called them out of the world to be disciples, to be followers. Then out of the disciples, he called them out of that large group of followers of Jesus to be the apostles. As disciples, they were just followers, right? But as apostles, God gave them a purpose to serve and to minister. And then he called them out to be the foundation of the church as we know it. Well, you and I have been called out by Jesus also, haven't we? He has called us out of sin and darkness to be his followers. And I believe that Jesus also calls us out even further as he gifts us with ministries and spiritual gifts and abilities and talents to use those for his glory in the building of his church. So we could relate with these men as we are called out by Christ in multiple ways, just as they were, for purposes and specific realities to affect the lives of others. I mean, we've said it many times in this church, but nobody is here by accident, right? Nobody was just happening to walk by on Major Street and just happened to fall into the doors of our church like, hey, how'd I get here, right? No one was magically just transformed and, and suddenly you just, you were in bed and suddenly you appeared in church, right? God has called us here 
to be the church. And then as we dig and read in his word, he calls us to use the gifts he's given us to do what? Build ourselves up and our ego, be pride and arrogant, right? No, he calls us to use everything that he has given us for the benefit of others. Whether it's service, whether it's teaching or preaching or, or fixing or cooking or singing or whatever God has gifted us to do, we are to use that for the building up and the edification of one another. And that's what God did with these 12 apostles. So part of our goal is to take them out of the stained glass windows that we have put them in, right, where they're, oh, and to put them back on the ground where Christ first met them and called them and said, as he did the first couple, come and I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. They were fishers of fish, and God transformed them and changed them to make them fishers of men. The Bible calls that servants, doesn't it? Servant. Because when Christ called them to be apostles, he called them to serve the people of God, to teach them, to, to educate them, to give them doctrine and theology, to, to teach them to pray, to teach them to be a church, to, to give them structure in serving God. When you and I are called out by God to be in his church, yes, it's for our benefit eternally, right? But it's also a call to serve one another. That our world is no longer about us, but it's about finding the uniqueness in each other and appreciating that and enjoying that and encouraging one another. As the Bible says, we are to encourage one another as long as what? Today is called today. And as far as I know, we still call today what? Today. So it's not hard, right? As long as it's today, we are to serve, we are to intercede, we are to pray, we are to give, we are to bless, we are to intercede, we are to serve. And that's what this series is about, is serving. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6 if you want to, as the basis of our message, Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. We read this. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, who he also named as apostles. Simon, who he also called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. That's the basis for our study, and our goal this morning is twofold, to look at Jesus calling these men and why it's important, and second, to start to look at the men individually and what God did in and through them. So 12 men, Jesus calls out 12 men to change the world, 11 for hope, one for hell, right? But he called these men, and we remember from what we looked at last week, Jesus didn't come, and when he came in to do his ministry, he came in and he thought, I've got to gather my men because my time is short. So he's probably a year into his ministry as he calls these men to be apostles. They've got two years of fast-track studying left, right, to learn the things of God, to be changed, because God is about change, isn't he? You ever notice in the Bible that it never says, oh, God bless you and just stay the way you are. Don't advance, don't mature, don't do anything else, just stay the way you are. 
What is God always saying? He's calling us to follow and move him. And if you follow someone, what do you have to do? You have to have activity. Anybody ever try to follow the leader by just sitting where you're at and staying there? How did that work? Well, the leader in the group went on and you what? You were left behind. And that's what Revelation talks about, that if we don't move and change and follow, we are what? Left behind when Christ returns. God is about change, and Jesus took these 12 men, called them out of the world to be disciples, called them out of the disciples to be apostles, to serve others, and called them to share the gospel message. And again, as we said before, you and I also have been called out by Christ. And that means we are constantly on the move, aren't we, as Christians? We're either moving forward closer to Christ, or we're where? We're moving backwards away from Christ and back to ourselves. One way or another, we are moving. So Jesus took these 12 men, and he didn't call the 12 men out of what most people, most men and women would logically think would be the best team to change the world. So you and I are back in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, and we're on the Change the World Gospel Committee for Christ, right? So it's our job to pick 12 men to change the world. Who would we typically pick? Well, well, yeah, let's go to the synagogue. Let's go get the religious leaders. They already know God, right? They've studied God. They, they teach God. Let's go get them. Well, let's get some very influential speakers because they can tickle the people's ears and then the words just roll off their tongue and captivate the people. Well, let's get some great political leaders because they know how to work around the law and in and out of, out of politics. Well, let's get some rich people because they can afford to fund the ministry. Did Jesus pick a single one of these individuals to be apostles? No. He chose 12 men, 12 common men, who had no greatness. 12 common men who just went through their lives day to day trying to make ends meet, trying to earn enough to feed their family, to care for their home. 12 men who just had ordinary jobs, in an ordinary neighborhood, 12 men who were completely unqualified. Isn't that crazy? Well, here we are at church. How many of you are qualified to be Christians? You ever ask that question? Well, yes, I'm quite qualified. I mean, I've read the Gospel of Matthew at least two times, right? I have a cross necklace. I can say the Lord's Prayer from memory. How many people are qualified to be Christians? Not a single one of you. Even me either, right? None of us are qualified to be in Christ's family because the Bible tells us that even our greatest works of goodness are as trash compared to the holiness of God. Filthy rags. Not a single one of us in this room or in the church of Jesus Christ or the family of God are qualified to be in his family because we are so sinful and unholy. I mean, seriously, people, God saved you, and what do you keep doing after salvation? You keep sinning. When are you going to get it right? Only when Christ comes back and makes us completely holy, right? So we are like the apostles because we are completely unqualified to be in God's family. We are completely unqualified to be Christians. And yet God chose us 
God chooses us, the unqualified, to be the bearers of his name, the presenters of his gospel, the evangelists to the world, the light in the darkness. He calls us because he chooses us because we are willing and available. And we cry out and say, Lord, use me. Here I am. Help me to understand your will, your way. Help me to serve you. And Lord, as I work through maturing in spiritual maturity, help me to not be so arrogant and prideful that I would fight against you. Don't we all have that struggle? Constantly? That's exactly what the apostles went through. So I love the fact of what God calls them out as common men. He calls you and I in the same way. And he says, if you'll just show up, kind of like you did today, right? We all showed up, at least physically, right? If you just show up and you're willing to bend your knee to me and to confess my name with your tongue and receive me as your Lord, Savior, and God, I will qualify you to do things beyond what you can do. And why does God do that? We answered that last week. Why did God gift these men who were so untalented and so common and so ordinary? Because when they do great things, and when you and I are allowed to do great things because Christ dwells within us, the world looks and says, that's impossible. And it is. And it's at that moment we get to give someone all the glory for doing the impossible. And who is that? We get to give Jesus the glory for using us as common people to do the impossible and to say, see what God can do in the life of a man or a woman who is available and willing, who bends their ear and their knee to the Lord? That's what's so wonderful about this. Twelve men that God took, not the religious or the powerful of Jerusalem, but just 12 men who he said, come and follow me. In other words, when he said, follow me, drop everything, when? Right now, leave it all and come after me. I'm gonna teach you a new way. We know four of them were definitely fishermen. One was a tax collector, we'll get to this later. One was a terrorist and one was a traitor, but they were still all chosen by Christ in their commonness. We read about them in the Gospels, we read about them in Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and then Acts chapter 1. And we read that there are actually three groups. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this in studying the Apostles, but there were three distinct groups of Apostles. The first group, the list is always the same. There's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In the second group, there was Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. In the third group, there was James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. Three distinct groups, and that doesn't seem like much, but what the Bible mentions when you look at these groups is a couple interesting things. That one, the first group, is always mentioned with the same men in the same order when you study the Gospels, and who is always at the very beginning? You know, Peter. Peter was actually the leader of the Twelve. Now, we don't often think about that, do we? We often see Peter as the clumsy, fumbling guy that was spontaneous and often got himself in trouble. But Peter was always the leader. And that's what we're going to look at today about how Christ made Peter into a leader 
even though he really wasn't much of a leader when he started because he was one of the fishermen. The other thing that's important about the groups as we study this is they are always in relationship to intimacy with Christ. The first group, you read about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. John was the beloved one of Christ. Peter was the one that was always with Christ doing those spontaneous things, but they were about groups of intimacy with Christ. And what we see there is, even though Jesus loves us all, there are some that are more intimate and close to him than others. We're still in his kingdom, but we've get, been given certain allotments, certain amounts of faith, and we're required to live up to those amounts of faith that we are given. Some have a lot, some have a little, but it's all equal in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like in the parable of the talents where the, the owner gave each one of the servants different amounts of money. But what they were to give in return was in proportion to what they were given, right? Nobody had to give more or less. They were all to give back in proportion to what they were given. And you and I are the same. So what we see in this first group is they were the most intimate, close group to Christ out of the 12. They're the ones that appear when, when Moses and, and the others appear in, in the transfiguration. And they were with Christ and they were close to him. But they are also the ones, because of that closeness, that what is expected of them? The most. The most. So, all these men had different occupations, different political groups political views, different spiritual theologies before they came to Christ, different classes of finances. Some of them actually opposed each other in their theology. Isn't that crazy? If you're picking a team to do the best gospel presentation in the world, do you want to pick people that their ideologies conflict? Jesus did. Isn't that crazy? He picks people who conflict. Why? To teach them to get along to teach them to learn to appreciate one another and their differences and to learn how to get along. The best way I can describe that is back in the day of when you had arranged marriages. Our American view of getting married is what? Falling in love, right? Get that little butterfly flitter in our heart and oh, they're so cute, they're so handsome, they're so wonderful, I just can't live without them. Back in the day of arranged marriages, it's like, hey, I got a daughter, you got a son? We should put them together, right? There was no love between them that bound them together. What did they have to learn to do over the course of their life? They had to learn to love one another. And that's where God calls us in the church in the same way, that all of us are come and brought in, and we are different, different backgrounds, different, different histories, different ages, different financial classes, different gifts. But God calls us to come together to what? Learn to serve and love one another. He calls us to come to church, to his family, to get over ourselves and to place him first and to learn to just play nice with each other. That's what it's kind of about, isn't it? Just to play nice with each other, even though we're different. And that's a good thing. So we want to look at Simon Peter, the leader of the apostles, in a different way that we don't normally look at him. Okay? Simon Peter. Simon, first and foremost, was a very common name of the time. Um, but Jesus does something with Simon that all of us know about, and we know a little bit about that. Jesus changes something immediately about Simon when he first meets him. Do you know what he does? He changes his name. He doesn't just replace it. He actually calls him both Simon and what? Peter. He gives them the name Peter. 
And there's symbol, a great symbolism to that and great meaning in that because Jesus, through the course of, of the Bible, calls him Simon, and he calls him Peter, and sometimes he calls him Simon Peter. Now, that gets kind of confusing if you're new as, as a Christian, doesn't it? Even, even if you're old as a Christian. He also calls him the protos in Matthew 10.2, which means the first, which he designates Peter as the leader, the protos, the first one. In Matthew 16, he calls him Simon Barjona. In John 21, he calls him Simon, son of John, which, if you're a good biblical scholar, you know what that simply means? It's not that Jesus is confused about who Simon is, and he keeps calling him the wrong name, right? Christy has this joke about one of the gals that, at, at her work that she says she has this condition where she can't forget anything, but she's asked Christy what her name is like three or four times. Jesus isn't forgetting Simon's name. All this tells us is that Jesus has his name Simon and Peter. We'll get to that in a minute. But he also calls him Simon Barjona and Simon son of Jonah, which simply meant what in good theology? He was the son, Bar, the son of Jonah or Jonah. So in that time that his dad's name could have been John, Jonas, or Jonah, depending on the translation you use. But when he calls him Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar Jonah, Bar just simply means son of. So Jesus is designating who he is. And that's important because we see that when Simon is called by Jesus, where is Simon? Do you remember? He's on the beach. He's in a boat. He's got a net. He smells like sardines. He's with his brother Andrew, and he's working. Now there's a key right there. What is Simon doing when Jesus finds him? He's working. Now this is subtle, but I want you to catch this. As Christians, what should we be doing? Working. I know that's a hard concept for some to grasp, but God created us back clear back in Genesis, especially men, to work, to labor, to till the ground, to, to produce, and women to work and labor, to care for family and build up and respect our husbands. Husband, not husbands. Let's not go there. Reverse polygamy, it's a bad thing, right? But when God finds us, we should be doing something. So here's the hard confrontive message where those of you that are listening may want to shut off right now. If you ain't doing nothing, then you better start doing something because that's the first thing that God sees when he finds Peter and Andrew is they are working. And as he is Simon Barjona, that means he's probably working for who? His dad. His dad probably started the fishing business. He's got his son in, in, involved, and he's there. And Jesus walks up, and he sees these men doing what? Working. Working. Oh, hard concept. Doing something with their lives, right? Not playing video games or sitting like a bump on a log, but doing something productive. And Jesus says, you have been fishing for fish. Woo. Very deep theological thing, right? But now... Now, when God says, but, there's going to be an intervention in life. Because but means there's going to be a big, what? Change. When you meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there better be a change in your life. Because if you don't see a change, chances are it may not have been real salvation it may have just been a fluttering feeling if you go back to living your life the way you did before christian post christ post salvation and there's no change you better make sure your theology and your salvation is right so jesus says you've been fishing for men but now 
change. Remember I said God is all about change? There's going to be an immediate change. But now I'm going to make you. In other words, who's going to do the miracle of changing their lives? Jesus. They just got to be there and be willing to follow. He says, I'm going to make you. And that should be encouraging to us, shouldn't it? You ever try to change your habits on your own? We talked about that for seven weeks at the beginning of the year. How did that work? You got into it three, four weeks, and how were you doing? Yeah, so so, right? We struggle with changing our lives, don't we? I mean, there's the self-help books all over the world. You can get on TV. There's all these pills and medications and, and workout centers and all these theories to help you change your life. And they just keep changing because they really don't work that well, right? But God does the change if we just, what, follow. He says, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, I want to take what you're already good at. You're good at catching things, guys. But now I'm going to teach you and make you to catch something else. You see, when God brings us forth and gives us, he doesn't radically change who he made us to be. He changes us spiritually, but he takes who he's already made us. He says, I'm going to take that in you, and I'm going to turn that slightly to make it a little bit different. I'm not going to have you fish for fish, because you're really good at that most days. But now I'm going to have you fish and catch men with the gospel message and salvation. Whatever you were good at pre-salvation, that's what God wants to use post-salvation to bless and minister and serve the church and serve others because you've already been equipped with that giftedness and God wants to use that. So you've been fishing for fish, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to come after me. You're going to follow me and you're going to catch men for my kingdom. So what did these men have to do for God to change them? They had to follow, right? And when did they have to follow? Right then and right there. Do you remember the story in the New Testament where all these people are invited to a big banquet and they all have excuses? Well, I just bought a piece of land. I got to go take care of that. Well, I just got married. I got to go on my honeymoon. Well, I just got this. We are so good at excuses, especially when it comes to following God. And God says, when I call you, the time to come and follow is when? Now. Forget what you've been doing in your life. Forget all that stuff. I've got something better. That stuff is not so important. I want you to come and follow me. And that's what he calls these men to do. And then in John chapter 1, verse 42, he calls Simon Cephas, which means Peter, which also means rock. Peter was the solid rock in the group. Now, when we read about him in, in the Bible with all his flailings and spontaneity, he doesn't seem like a rock, does he? He seems like he flips back and forth an awful lot. But Jesus called him a rock because it was what he was going to make him become. It was what he was going to make him become. Jesus had a purpose in mind for Simon. And he knew Simon was here, immature, common, sporadic, flipping Christian, but he was gonna make him a rock. But there was a process in there, wasn't there? Same with you and I. When Jesus calls us, he calls us while we are yet sinners. 
And over the process of this short life that we have, his goal is to make us into spiritual maturity. There's that process we go through that we love so much, right? Because there's change. There's confrontation of our sin. There's repentance. There's, you're thinking about yourself. You gotta think about God. There's change. Best way I can example or exemplify this is, is this way. Baseball Dodger manager Tommy Lasorda a number of years ago tells a story of when he had a skinny young pitcher on his team. He drafted him up to be on the pros and uh, this skinny young pitcher was a good pitcher but he was not a very imposing man. He was a skinny little ron, scrawny geek kind of guy but he can pitch well. So Tommy Lasorda tells him that when he came on his team the first week he was on his team he named this guy Bulldog. Now, at first it was kind of funny. You know why? He wasn't a bulldog. He was a scrawny little pitcher guy that had nothing to him. But Tommy Lasorda says, no, your name is Bulldog. Do you know why Tommy Lasorda named him Bulldog? Because that's who he wanted him to become. He wanted to change his personality to become an imposing pitcher that people were afraid of from a skinny little pitcher. And that's what the man did. Years later, he became one of the most fierce pitchers in professional baseball. And it started because Tommy Lasorda, his manager, named this scrawny little guy Bulldog. It was funny at first, but he had a long-term goal in mind. And so Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. There was a plan God had a purpose for him. And as God has called you and me, he has a purpose for us also. Now, Simon and Peter. Peter didn't replace the name Simon, did it? Jesus called him Simon, he called him Peter, he called him Simon Peter. Here's what Jesus did with that. It was a thermometer test. That when Jesus called him Simon, do you know what that symbolized? He was living back in his own self-centered, arrogant little world. He was living back in his own mindset. He was not following Christ. And when he did that, Jesus would call him Simon, and it was kind of a clue like, hey, buddy, you're not getting it. You're going back to your old worldly ways. You're going back to that. But when Jesus called him Peter, that meant he understood the message and gospel in the way of, of Jesus Christ. And he was living and growing in spiritual maturity. And there were a few times he was called Simon Peter. Why? Because he kept flipping back and forth. He couldn't make his mind up, right? You ever struggle with that? Well, should I sin? No, I should be holy. Should I sin? Should I, no. should I find a temptation? No, well, yes, I'm going to. Don't, you, don't we go through that same thing? I, I thought as I, as I was studying this that, man, wouldn't that be cool in my life that God would just give me two names that I knew when I was in line with God and I knew when I was out of line with God? I thought that would be so cool. I thought, no, that would not be very cool. Because when Jesus called Simon, Simon, did he do it in secret? No, he did it in public, in front of all the other guys, in front of the crowds. He was calling them out for being worldly. And I thought, you know, I don't think I want that. Would you want that? There you are in front of, you know, the great big church group, or you're, you're, you're there with, in a Billy Graham thing, and all of a sudden the leader comes up to you and says, Sinner! Wait a minute! It's not that bad. Sinner, right? Now, when he called him Peter, that probably would have been great. But when he called him Simon, man, it had to sting a little bit, didn't it? 
It had to hurt because basically what Jesus is saying is, you need to repent and you need to do it now because you are going back and living for the world. Now, it would be good to have that all the time, but not to be called out in public in front of everybody, right? That's what Jesus did. So when you're studying and reading, the, reading the, the, the Bible and you hear him called Simon, you know that Jesus is saying, you are thinking worldly again. You're going back to that old sinful nature. You need to repent and change your ways now. You need to go from Simon to what? Peter. Because when I call you Peter, it's like you're finally understanding. You're growing in spiritual maturity. You're getting it. This is the path I want you to go on. And who thinks Jesus didn't have a sense of humor? Oh, you're Simon. You need to repent. No, you're Peter today. Peter was the leader. There's no question about that. And the Lord chose him to be a leader. The Lord equipped him to be the leader. The Lord shaped him to be a leader. He trained him to be a leader. But at the beginning, Peter was no leader. At the beginning, Peter was Simon, right? He had to grow to become Peter. So we're going to look at how God shapes a leader here. The Gospels speak of Peter quite often. In fact, his name is mentioned more in the Gospels than any other name except for Jesus himself. And that should give us a clue right there to how important Peter was, right? Because when the Bible repeats something, it's for emphasis. It's like, you better get this, right? Nobody speaks as often as Peter in the, in the Gospels. Do you know that? Peter just has a problem with his mouth. It's constantly going for good or bad. Nobody is spoken to more often in the Gospels from Jesus than Peter. Which means Peter probably had the most work that needed to be done, right? Now that part I can relate with Peter real easily. Out of this whole group, I probably have more work that I need to change than the rest of you put together, right? So God should be speaking to me an awful lot. No disciple reproved the Lord except for Peter, right? And no disciple except for Peter was ever reproved by the Lord. And he did it in two ways. We all know the one way, right? Where Peter's speaking to Jesus and saying, no, you can't do that, Lord. And Jesus says the very loving words, what? Get behind me. Now it's not even Simon, it's what? Satan. But the other way that Jesus reproved him often was just simply calling him Simon. In other words, Sinner, repent, old nature, old man, old sinful self, get out of the world. He reproved him often. No disciple so boldly confessed Jesus more than Peter. And no one denied Christ more boldly than Simon. Right? When he was Peter, he says, Lord, I will even go and I will die for you. I will do anything. When he was called in the carpet, and it was the most important time to be with Christ, what did Simon do? He denied Jesus not only once, not twice, but three times. He said, I never knew the man. You see the flipping back and forth that Peter is going through to change? Can you relate with that in your own life? That sometimes you were, you were, you were Peter, you were, you were on fire for the Lord. And then there are the other times that you're what? You're Simon. You're Simon. Can you relate with this guy? I can. Probably more than any other guy in the Bible, I can relate with him. No one was more praised or blessed than Peter. And no one was called Satan in the Bible except for 
beat Simon. God was making him a man, a godly man. But at first he was a common man. He was impulsive. He was unsubmissive. He was vacillating back and forth between Simon and Peter and Simon and Peter and sometimes both Simon and Peter. He needed a lot of work. How about you? How about me? We need a lot of change for God to do that. But change is what? Hard. It's confrontive. I mean, just think of this poor guy, what he went through. He's there with the 12. He's called the protos, the leader. He's out in the crowd with all the disciples. And Jesus calls him Simon. Oh, Lord, not now. <laughs> really? This is embarrassing. No, Simon, you're embarrassing right now. He needed work. He needed a change. How about you? How many times in our life can you see Jesus when we're talking and giving our input or doing something, and we can hear Jesus just saying, Simon, oh, Lord, not now. Simon, you're not thinking of others. You're thinking of yourself. You need to change. That's why this is so important, because we see what God did in Simon to make him what? Peter. And that's God's plan for you and I, is to take you from that old worldly, the Bible calls it the old man, the old self, the worldly, all about me, arrogant, proud, self-indulgent, self-gratifying, sinful person, to being a Jesus freak, a holy roller for Jesus Christ, to be the gospel message to the world. And there's a big gap in between there, right? And that's the change part. So what does God look for in a leader? What did God look for in Peter that made him go from Simon to Peter? Well, three raw materials. The first one, I think, is this, inquisitiveness. Now, those of you that have been around kids, especially when they're young, what's the one question that you just get so irritated that they ask constantly? Why? 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 Well, it's this way. Why? Well, because of this. Why? Well, this way. Why? What do you want to do to them? Shut them down, right? Right then and there. Here's the problem. Inquisitiveness is good. Do you know that? Inquisitiveness is good. The Bible calls you and I to be inquisitive and in saying that you need to ask, seek, and what? Knock. Those are all actions, stepping stones of digging deeper and deeper and deeper. First you ask. Well, that doesn't cover it. That's not enough. So then you seek. You're looking for it. Well, that's not enough. Now you need to start knocking and banging on the door to get your answer, right? Do you see that in the Gospels where Jesus even talks about the, the woman that went to the judge? The judge says, I'm not going to judge in her favor because she has a good case what does the judge say i'm going to judge in her favor because she's irritating me because she won't quit bugging me jesus tells us to pray how unceasingly so what do we hear we have our these children that just go why 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 and we just want to you know duct tape them up put them in a the closet whatever you want to do but jesus is saying i want you to ask I want you to be inquisitive. I want you to know more. I want you to ask those questions of why is this in the gospel? Why did I do it this way? What does that mean? 
to be Christian? What does it mean to take in the fullness of the Word of God to allow it to change your life? What does it mean to submit and surrender and worship and praise? What does it mean to give God the glory? Why does God want you to ask those questions? This is a hard one. Grab your chairs so that you have the answer. Right? Does God want us just to be little robots that just do whatever we're told to do? No. He wants us to be good, intelligent, thanking people. In fact, he says, if any of you lack something, I mean, Ken prayed for it this morning. It was awesome to hear this. Because I'm like, hey, he's writing a sermon. If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Wisdom which is having some smarts about what to do, right? If any of you lack this, there's a simple solution. Be inquisitive and do what? Ask and it will be, oh, this is crazy. This is how the kingdom of God works. Ask and it will be given. God wants you to ask. He wants you to be inquisitive. He wants you to ask those questions about faith and theology and your spirituality and how to have your life change and how to serve and who to serve and, and how to love others more and how to honor and how to respect so you can do it better. He wants you to be in the know. And that's one thing about Peter was throughout the whole New Testament, you see Peter running at the mouth, asking questions and speaking, don't you? On the onset, it seems kind of rough, kind of like that child that just keeps asking, why, why, why? But through the process of becoming a leader, it's tremendously important. Do you want to follow a leader? who don't know nothing, what do you expect the leader to do? To have answers. To know which direction we're going. That when hard times come, they've got the wisdom and discernment to know what to do and what needs to be done, right? That's who you want to follow. You don't want to follow the guy that just talks well and does nothing. You want that person to know what they're doing. Curiosity is critical to leadership. And Peter understood the fact that knowledge is power. Do you know in the New Testament that Peter asked more questions that we read of than all the other 11 apostles combined? So what was Peter constantly doing? <laughs> he was constantly talking. And that can be really irritating, right? But there's a goodness to it if you see it in the right light. And if it's funneled and directed in the right direction, it can be beneficial. And so that's what God is calling us to do. In fact, I can just see Jesus there with Peter, and Peter's just constantly asking questions and talking. I can see Peter or Jesus sitting there sometimes going, Okay, Peter, just zip it for a minute. Let me take let me heal this woman for a second, and then I'll answer your question, okay? Let me feed these 5,000 men and, and women and children, and then I'll answer your question. Peter, just 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 hold back just a little bit, right? I'll get to you. Can you see Peter in that way? Inquisitiveness is good. There's three kinds of people in the world. Let's see which one you are, huh? There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people who say, who say hey, what's happening? <laughs> right? <laughs> Tara just got that. <laughs> so which one are you? No, don't answer that loudly. Let's not get that on tape. But Peter, I mean, God wants us to be the ones that are asking the questions to make the things happen. So we have to go from this progression of being the person that says, hey, what's going on? What's happening? To the next step of just watching things happen to be the one saying, hey, let's make some things happen. 
Let me ask, get the answers, get the wisdom from God, and then let's move. So first thing to be a leader, which God wants you to be to be a leader in his kingdom, is have inquisitiveness, people. Ask questions of God. Does God ever tell you in the New Testament or the Old Testament to not ask? No, it's almost like he's begging you. Ask of me. Seek me. Ask, 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 and it will be given. God wants you to ask those hard questions. God, what did you put me here for? God, what is your purpose in my life? God, how do I surrender more to you? How do I hear the Holy Spirit? How do I drown out the white noise and the, and the deception of Satan to be distracted? God, how do I serve you better? God, how do I just live fully for you? Are those good questions? We can't get the answer unless we what? Ask. So ask of God. Be curious. Be inquisitive. Got to have some initiative, right? You got to have some movement. You got to, to make things happen, you got to move, right? Well, Peter was the one who would dive in where angels feared to tread, right? I mean, you, you read in the New Testament or, or in the Bible where, you know, an angel appears and, and the person starts worshiping and the angel's like, whoa, 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 don't worship me. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm just a messenger, right? Peter would take action where angels wouldn't. When Jesus, when the crowd is coming to take Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Peter do? He took action. Now it was wrong action, but he took action. He takes a sword out and he cuts the servant's ear off, right? When Jesus poses a question to the disciples, you know who the first one to answer was typically? Peter. I mean, he would just put it right out there. He was a man of action. It's like, let's do some things. Let's, let's make some things happen. Now, it wasn't always good. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to look at Peter and say, put your sword away, Peter. But you notice he called him Peter. He didn't call him Simon. That's not by accident. He says, put your sword away, Peter. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So what does that tell us? Even though Peter did the wrong action, he was defending Christ. He was doing the right thing in the wrong way, but he was doing the right thing. He was on the right path. He was trying to hold the honor for Jesus. Now, he did it in a very worldly way, but he was trying to glorify God. I've seen this in many years in the church, and I'll tell you, out of two different sets of people, which one I would rather have. And it's hard because... You've really got to work with these people. But I would rather have to hold somebody back and say, you've you got to cool your jets a little bit than try and motivate someone to do something. You ever try and motivate someone to do something that they don't want to do? It's like a rock on the ground. Come on, just move. And they do what? Just sit there. I've seen people in ministry that I have tried to motivate and they are kicking and screaming to stay right where they're at. And for that reason, I would rather have someone that I've got to be like, hey, you, you've got to calm down a little bit. Okay, let's, let's, let's cut the hallelujahs during the sermon down to 40 or 50 next Sunday instead of 80. Okay, you know, um, your voice is wonderful when you sing, but maybe sing a little softer. Okay, you know, um, I know you're, you're, you're really trying to serve God, but laying prone on the floor during the prayer time kind of messes with other people, you know. I'd rather have someone that's just saying, I want to serve the Lord God. I want you to use me. I'm going to do whatever. I don't care what people think. I'd rather have that person. And the person saying, well, yeah, pastor, uh, 
maybe you ought to give me a ministry and have me do something. Okay, here's your ministry. Well, maybe you ought to train me how to do that first. Okay, here's how you train. Well, maybe you ought to tell me when I should be doing it. Right? Do you see the difference? Peter had initiative, and there's a good thing for us, that we too should what? Have initiative for God. I said at the very beginning, God is about what in our lives? Change. And to change, you got to move. And some days, like Peter, you're going to have the right motivation, but you're going to do it in the wrong way. But you know what? You're doing something. You're doing something. Third thing, element of involvement. Now, most of us were called by God to be in the church and let others serve us, right? That's what some people think, right? Well, I don't got to do nothing, say nothing, bring nothing, give nothing. Just, they just bring it to me, serve me, talk to me. Is that biblical? No. I love Ken's position. He's a deacon. Deacon Ken. We go, ooh, Deacon Ken. Which we do, you don't know it, but we do that. You know what the word deacon means? Probably slave. You know what the word deacon means? Deacon means servant. It's the image of going to a restaurant and you sit down at your table and there is a what? Server. Server. Who does what? Serves you. And they come up and they say, how would you like this? What would you like to have? You sit right there. I'll bring it to you. Oh, don't get up to pay the check. I'll bring the receipt. You just give me the credit. Oh, you just, would you like dessert with that? They serve. How often in a restaurant, when you go out and eat, which isn't very often for us because it's so expensive, <laughs> but think about a time when you went out to eat at a restaurant, how often, when that servant came over and you're sitting there and you're looking at the menu, that servant came over, how many times have you got up and said, oh, wait, 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 no, here, here, let me get up and serve you. You sit down in my seat. You know what? You look like you've been on your feet all day. Why don't you pick something on the menu? I'll go back to the kitchen. I'll bring it to you. How many of you done that? <laughs> Try it. That'll be really fun sometime to see what they do. <laughs> okay? But that is the imagery, the idea of a servant, right? They are there to serve you. And when God calls us to be servants in his church and to come together with our giftedness and our differences and our abilities and our finances and our talents and our attitudes, he calls us to come together to do what? Serve. serve. And that means you have to be in involved, right? You can't be sitting on the sidelines. You have to be in the game. You're not a sideline, couch recliner Christian. You're supposed to be in the game. And the hard part about being in the game is when you're in the game, you can get what? Hurt. Hurt. And when you're in the game, you have to expend what? Energy. Energy. And when you're in the game, you have to work with who? Others. Others. Oh. And when you're in the game and the coach calls a play, you have to what? do it. It's not fun to be in the game all the time, is it? But that's where God calls us to be. Do you think, let's put it this way, when Jesus was in the game for the last three years of his life and God said, son, this is the game we're going to play. You think Jesus was always like, woo! Terry missed that, sorry. Do you think 
it was easy for Jesus to be in the game. No, it hurt and crushed him to death. He sweated so hard it was like droplets of blood. He was constantly looking and saying, don't you get it? Oh my gosh, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When Jesus was in the game and bringing forth salvation and redemption and restoration and reconciliation with God the Father, it was hard. So when you got it hard, that's a compliment. You know why? Because you're in the game. You're doing something. Now, I'm as guilty as this as anybody, especially as a preacher, but we've talked about Peter in the boat and his spontaneity, where Jesus is walking on the water, right? And Peter's in the boat with the other guys, and they're there, and he, they, first they think he's a ghost, and they kind of freak out, right? Kind of scares them a little bit, and then Jesus comes closer, and Peter does this impulsive thing. I mean, Jesus doesn't speak to him. Jesus is walking, and Peter, we'll call him Peter, because he's getting it. He's doing the right thing, wrong action, right thing, but he says, Lord, if you want me to come out... When's the last time that you, in your prayer time, looked up and said, God, if you want me to do this, to minister to this person, to give this, to bring this, to God, if you want me to, just tell me. Most of us don't pray that, right? What do we pray? God, help me, give me, fix me, please me, do this, do this, do this. Peter's like, Lord, if you want me to come out, he doesn't even know what's going to happen yet. He just sees Jesus walking on water, which is pretty darn cool, and he's like, Hey, if God wants me to walk in the water, I should go out. So, Lord, if you want me to come out, if you want me involved in action, call me out. And Jesus does what again? Come on, dude. And he kind of gets it right, and then he sinks. Then he gets saved again. And we make fun of Peter from that. But you know what's so amazing about that story? All the fun we make of Peter. Where is the faith of the other 11? And where are they? You know, where are they? They're still in the boat. There's a problem with that. Because where Jesus is, and Peter got this, where Jesus is, is where what? We should be too. Even if it's walking on the water doing the impossible. G Peter knew that where Jesus was, he needed to be there. He could not afford to stay in the boat. He had to be where Jesus was. Kids, where do you and I need to be? We need to be where Jesus is. We need to be Peter, not the 11 Simons who are where? Uninvolved, inactive, and safe where? In the boat. That's where they were. I mean, that's the real tragedy of that story, is they were safe in the boat. How many of us like to play it safe in the boat? Be honest. Wait, let me turn the camera around and get all the hands raising up right now. We struggle with involvement, don't we? But we need to be where Jesus is. And if Jesus is not where we are, we, like Peter, should what? Lord, if you want me to be where you are, you call me out. And I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to walk on water, and I'm going to freak out a little bit, but you're going to be there to save me. And Jesus, I'm going to be with you. Have you ever thought about this when you read that story? When Jesus pulls Peter up out of the water, and Peter and Jesus are together, do you ever think they looked back at the boat and said, um, 
Excuse me, what are you guys doing? You ain't doing nothing. You're safe in the boat. How come you're not out here with us? You see the picture? Kind of confrontive, isn't it? It's kind of fun. God is about change. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to be a part of the action, even if we have a faith-lacking moment and we begin to sink into water. You know that Jesus never gave up on Peter when he sank? What did he do? He reached out and he pulled him back up. If you're in the game and not safe in the boat, there's a chance you may sink because you take your eyes off of Jesus for a minute. You ever done that? But what will Jesus do? He'll reach his hand out and he'll pull you back up to be where? With him. And that's the beauty of change. So, can you relate with Peter? Does this impact you at all? Does it have any personal life application? Can you look at it and see what God is telling you to do? To move to him? There's a ton of stuff in this and we can keep going. But is this enough? You got your work set for you for the week? Yeah? You got enough for two weeks? You don't need to come back next week? Feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. God's call called out the apostles. He called them out of sin to be followers of him, fishers of men. He called them out of the disciples to be apostles. He called them as apostles to minister and to serve others, to build the church. And God's called you out of sin, too, to be a follower. And maybe now God's calling you from being a follower to getting out of that safe boat and being with Jesus. And as tough as it is, as impossible as it is, as much as there's potential for sinking, it's the right place to be, isn't it? It's where we need to go. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your word, your message, for the example of the apostles. Lord, not only their strengths and how you change them and the end of the story, but God, their, their journey, their, their, their life change that took a couple years to happen, Lord, because God, we can relate with that so often. Lord, we know in our minds as your Holy Spirit beckons to us that there are times that you would call us Simon. And that's simply a call to quit living in our own self-indulgent, self-entitled, arrogant world and to bend the knee to you. God, help us to be inquisitive. Help us to be involved. Help us to seek you out, to be where you are, no matter how impossible it looks. God, help us to leave the safety of the boat to be with you. We praise you. We thank you for the change you are doing in, in our lives. And as the apostles did in this change to make us who you called us to be, we give you all glory. In Jesus' name.